Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Matthew 13. Priceless treasure. Priceless treasure. As we move into a new year, I want to ask you this morning, what do you treasure in your heart? What truly is your treasure? This morning I want us to look at the subject matter, priceless treasure, Matthew 13 and beginning in verse 44. Uh, But before we get to 44, I want you to notice verse 16 where Jesus says to his disciples, But blessed are your ears, for they see. And your eyes are your ear, your eyes for they see rather, and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then six different times in this chapter, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is light. Let's look at two of those this morning. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In verse 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, we're so grateful today that you have allowed us to see, to hear, to know. And as we enter a new year, God, help us to understand the privileged position that we are in. To hear about Jesus, to know you, to serve you. May we understand more than we ever have in our lives that indeed he is the priceless treasure. And whatever it takes to follow him is well worth it. Open our eyes and ears to that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Priceless treasure. The crown jewels of England are considered by many to be the most ostentatious and impressive set of precious jewels anywhere in existence. Used in coronation ceremonies, the jewels are kept under heavy security in the Tower of London. They're guarded by specially trained appointees. The set consists of a crown, a scepter, and several other ornaments of royal caliber. The crown jewels have been replaced, stolen, and destroyed on several occasions. One such mishap involved King John who in 1216 tried to cross the bay in Lincolnshire. He miscalculated the incoming tide and lost his luggage which was washed out to sea. The luggage? The crown jewels of England. 
He contracted dysentery and died just a few days later. The area is exceptionally dangerous due to the fast incoming tides and muddy waters, but treasure hunters still flock annually to that area hoping to find a haul of a lifetime. Now closer to home is the supposedly $63 million in gold and silver hidden somewhere in Bedford County, Virginia. Legend has it that in 1812, Thomas Beale and a few men he was traveling with came into a large sum of gold and silver while mining somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. With such a large fortune estimated to be around $63 million in today's money, all of the men wanted to make sure that their next of kin would get the money should they perish. And so Thomas Beale wrote three coded messages. One described the exact location of the treasure. The second described the contents of the treasure. And the third was a list of the men's names and their next of kin. Bill then entrusted uh, Robert Morris, a Lynchburg, Virginia innkeeper, with the safekeeping of a box containing the secret messages. Morris was supposed to wait ten years before opening it. At this point, if Bill did not return for the box, a key to decoding the messages was supposed to be mailed to Morris, but it never arrived. And so supposedly somewhere around the city of Lynchburg, Virginia, may be hidden $63 million worth of gold and silver. There's just something fascinating about buried treasure. Our text today is about buried treasure, but buried treasure of a different kind, a more significant kind. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and again it is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. As I mentioned earlier, in Matthew 13, Jesus is telling a series of parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. In the first of these kingdom parables, he says that the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men were asleep, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and the two grew up together. Jesus said that the good seed stands for those who are sons of the kingdom, the children of God. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the two continue together until the end of the age when they will be separated by the angels. In the second kingdom of God parable, he said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It has small beginnings, but then grows exponentially. In the third, he said that the kingdom of God is like leaven. The leaven quietly, but effectively permeates everything that it comes into contact with. With both the mustard seed and the leaven, you have small beginnings that become something great. And then we come to the parables I want us to look at today. 
They emphasize the inexpressible worth of the kingdom of God. Folks, do we really understand how priceless it is to discover Jesus? Do we have any idea how valuable it is if we could only see with the eyes of eternity what it means to be an adopted son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to Paul in Colossians and what he says of Christ. He says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together can anything compare to knowing Christ listen to the apostle Paul again as he writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 he says but whatever gain I had I now count as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord as Craig Blomberg writes in his little book preaching the parables these twin parables point out that true disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens I want us to look today at these twin parables because folks I believe that they teach us something that this modern age desperately needs to hear Most of the people that you and I are going to rub shoulders with this week would assign very little value to what we are about this morning. They are not investing in the kingdom of God at all. They don't have kingdom values. It's not even on their radar. In fact, they're investing in the world. And Jesus said in, uh, John rather said in 1 John 2 that those who love the world and invest in the world need to understand that one day this world and all it contains is going to pass away. If only people today could understand if they're investing in this world and the things of this world, it's a terrible investment because one of these days they're going to have nothing to show for their lives. If you're investing in this world, you, my friend, are wasting your life. The message this morning is an invitation to take a fresh assessment of what your life and my life is all about. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is discovering the treasure that is above all others. Discovering the treasure that is above all others. If we only live for self and earthly pleasures, we are fools because, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are made for better things. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins by saying that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Jesus points out in our parables today that true treasure pertains to the kingdom of heaven. What's He talking about here? 
No doubt he's talking about such things as eternal life. That through him you and I can be reconciled to a holy God. All of our sins can forever be washed away. And we can have peace with God. And we can have access into his presence that begins now but continues all the way into eternity. Those are the things that make up the true treasure of life. After all, what is it deep down inside that so many people want? They want peace with God. They want to know that if something happens to them and their family, that they and their family and their loved ones and friends have eternal life, that their sins are forgiven and they're going to spend eternity together in heaven one day. And one day they're going to have the assurance of meeting the Lord and seeing their Savior face to face. That's what people want to know in life. Notice what verse 44 tells us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that is hidden in a field. Now what do we learn about this treasure? First of all, we see that it is not immediately visible. Where is it? It's there. But it's hidden out of sight. It's buried. Folks, that's what they did with treasure in Israel. Israel was a land of wars. It occupied that place of land that was right in between the major military powers of the ancient world. You had the kingdoms to the east and the northeast like Syria and Babylon and and Assyria and Persia. And then you had Egypt to the southwest. The major roads and the trade routes that connected these major kingdoms went right through the land of Israel. Israel is a bridge between those major kingdoms on both sides of it. And so what that meant is that your backyard almost at any moment could become a battlefield. Your land could be raided. Your house could be raided. Everything that you'd worked for and saved for all of your life could immediately be lost in a moment. The rabbis had a saying that the only safe place for treasure was hidden in the earth. That brings to mind that parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, 14 and following about the talents. The guy who only received one talent, what did he do with his talent? He went and hid it in the ground. Because again, that's what they did with talents back then. With treasure back then. If you hid it in your house... The clay walls on your house. Thieves could dig through and steal. And so the ground was a lot safer. And your treasure there would not immediately be visible. It would be there, but it would not be visible to anybody who wanted to rob you. Now the problem was, if you died and your family didn't know where the treasure was, it might be there for centuries. It may never be discovered. I think of that little Bedouin shepherd boy who in 1947 was out playing with his friends and siblings near the Dead Sea. And they were throwing rocks, throwing stones, and there's caves there. You've probably seen those caves. In fact, if you see pictures of where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, you'll you'll probably see a picture of cave number four is what, what they'll show you. But all these caves, and these little boys were out throwing rocks, and this little fella threw a rock in a cave, and all of a sudden he heard a crashing sound. 
clay pottery breaking. Upon further discovery, when they went into that cave, in fact, they went into 11 caves. And in clay jars were contained ancient manuscripts believed to be 2,000 years old. As it turned out, 40% of them were ancient manuscripts of the Hebrew Old Testament containing fragments of every single book in our Old Testament except for the book of Esther. It's believed that the scroll of the book of Isaiah, for example, is the oldest ancient manuscript that we have of a biblical text. Folks, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 is listed as the number one most important archaeological discovery of the entire 20th century. That's an example of how treasures were buried, or in this case, hidden in a cave. And remaining hidden and out of sight maybe for centuries. We see this guy in verse 44. We're probably meant to think that he was some kind of plowboy. Some hired hand that a predominant landowner had. He's been over this ground maybe dozens of times. Maybe even hundreds of times. But he's never seen this treasure before. Again, it's hidden in the ground. It's buried. It's concealed. But on this particular day, his plow hits something hard. Hits something solid. And he investigates further. And he uncovers this treasure. Again, think of the pearl merchant. He's searching for that which is not immediately obvious or everyone would have had it. Pearls were a fascination in the ancient world. It seems to have begun with the Egyptians and then the Arabs and the Romans developed a love for them. Before the Arabs ever made their fortunes in gold or oil, they made them in pearls. It's said that Cleopatra had two pearls worth four million dollars. In Jesus' day, pearl merchants would journey out on expeditions that took them all over the ancient world. Whether it was treasure in the field or the pearl, again, it was hidden in some way. The treasure was there, but it wasn't immediately visible. Both treasures were waiting to be found. And Jesus makes the connection. Jesus is saying that the same is true about the kingdom of God. As we go about in life, living in this world, the things of God are not easily seen. And sadly, most never see them. Most go about their lives and they never see, they never understand what life is really about. They waste their entire lives plowing dirt, we might say, and they never discover the true treasure that is right at their fingertips. They never discover Jesus. And why is this? Because the average person is not seeking the things of God. Romans 3 verses 10 and 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Folks, the Bible tells you and me that sin has blinded us to the things of God. 
Romans 1 tells us that God speaks. Aren't you glad we serve a God who speaks, who desires to make himself known? If God did not take the initiative, you and I would never have any hope of knowing him. He's a God who speaks. He speaks in creation, natural revelation. Paul says in Romans 1, so that everybody is without excuse and can understand that there is a God. He speaks in natural, in the created order. The psalmist said the heavens declare the glory of God. But folks, what do men do? They reject God and they reject the truth of God. They fall under the just wrath of a holy God, whether they're Jew or Gentile. According to Romans 1, when men reject the truth of God, God gives them over to themselves. Three times in Romans 1. Paul says when we reject God speaking to us, God gives us over. God gives us over to impurity. God gives them over, he says, to degrading passions. And God gives them over to a depraved mind. Why? Because they rejected God's truth. God speaks, revealing himself. So that men can learn about the priceless treasure of Jesus Christ and the priceless treasure of eternal life through Jesus Christ. God speaks. But again, look at, look at how men live. Instead of seeking God and embracing Him, what is it that so many seek after? They lay up treasure upon earth. They make an idol out of things and worship the creation rather than the Creator. They seek after approval. They seek after recognition. They seek after wealth. They seek out after some type of sense of importance. Why? Because Satan has blinded their minds. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the glory of God in Jesus Christ and be saved. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Most people are blind to the things of God. And again, the Bible says that's how humanity lives. Oh, they may be religious. They may come even to church week in and week out, but they're never transformed from the inside out. They're never born again. And consequently, because they're not born again, they don't have an appetite for the things of God and the kingdom of God. They're quite satisfied in life to continue down the course that they're on a course to destruction. Nonetheless, God has ways of getting people's attention. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad of that? Again, in this story, here's this plowboy. He's going along. He's just minding his business. He's doing his work, what he's paid to do. And all of a sudden, he comes upon this treasure. And he discovers this treasure. He wasn't expecting anything like that to happen that day. But it happened. Almost by accident, it would seem. 
That's how some people discover the kingdom of God. I told you last week a little bit about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher the English-speaking world has ever known. Fifteen-year-old boy, he, he was walking on, on a New Year's morning to church, but there was such a blizzard of snow that he was not able to reach the church that he normally attended. He, he later wrote that he turned down a street and he came upon this little primitive Methodist chapel. The storm was so bad the preacher didn't even arrive that day. One of the lay leaders got up and led the service for the small handful of people that were there. Spurgeon said that the man was bad. He said he was really, really bad. His text for the day was out of Isaiah. Where Isaiah says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And Spurgeon said, because the man had nothing more to say, all he did was say that over and over and over again. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Something about Spurgeon caught that preacher's eye. He said, young man, you look very miserable. And you will always be miserable. You will be miserable in life and you will be miserable in death if you do not obey my text. And then he shouted, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. And Spurgeon said in that instant, he did look. And his soul was flooded with the peace from God that he had never had before. And his life was changed. It was the last thing that Spurgeon imagined would happen that day. He was like that plowboy just going about his business. But ladies and gentlemen, God had a divine appointment for Spurgeon that day. Some of you in here, you stumbled upon the priceless treasure of Jesus almost by accident. You weren't looking for him and all of a sudden something happened. Maybe it was in a revival service one day and all of a sudden conviction fell on you. You had no idea in that service you were going to make a profession of faith but all of a sudden at the end of the service you found yourself down front surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and making a profession of faith. I think of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. There he was as Rabbi Saul. He wasn't looking for Jesus. In fact, he was rejecting Jesus. And he was going out to Damascus with papers from the high priest so that he could arrest all the Christians up there and drag them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial and put them in prison or put them to death. And all of a sudden at, at noon, the Bible says in Acts 9 that he saw a light that was so bright it knocked him to the ground. And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, Saul, Saul. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. What do you want me to do, Lord? Go into the city and it'll be told you what you should do. And he went into the city and, and, and he met with the man Ananias. And, and Paul that day came to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden the greatest persecutor of Christians became the greatest propagator of the gospel. Paul never had any idea what was going to happen to him that day. But it happened. Some of you may be like that. Others discover the kingdom of God after a diligent search. 
Jeremiah 29, 13 says, They shall seek for me and find me when they search for me with their whole heart. I, I, I think about the Ethiopian eunuch who had been to Jerusalem to worship. And while there, he had bought a copy of the scroll of Isaiah and was diligently reading it on his way back home, trying to discover its meaning and yet needing somebody like Philip to explain things to him. He came to faith in Christ. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Same thing. A God-fearing man looking for God, trying to have peace with God. Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, said he wandered from philosophy to philosophy, looking for something to satisfy his empty heart. And then he found Jesus. Maybe that's how you are today. You've been searching for God. You're hungry to know Him. You've been looking for Him. The Bible says that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit on you. You are looking for Him because He's already looking for you. Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I want to say to you today, Jesus is the true treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He satisfies. The Bible says, in Him are hidden all of the treasures of God. If you go through life and you accumulate all the world's goods, but do not discover Jesus Christ, you will die a pauper. You will live as a pauper and you will die as a pauper. You are the poorest of the poor if you do not know Jesus Christ. Yet on the other hand, if you go through life and you never acquire the treasures of this world, but you know Christ, you're rich. Have you ever stopped to think of what you have in Christ? Paul said in Ephesians 2, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You are rich in Christ. He is the priceless treasure beyond all other treasures. Discovering the true treasure of life. Secondly and quickly, and I'm not even going to go on to develop this point like I have it planned out. But possessing the treasure that is above all others. Possessing. Not just discovering But it had to be theirs. Notice that both men simply had to have what they found. Finding it was not an end in and of itself. They both had to have it for themselves. It had to be theirs. The treasure hidden in the field was worth more than all this plowboy had put together. And so what does he do? Out of joy he runs home. He liquidates all of his wealth. And he goes to the landowner and he buys that field so he can have that treasure. You say, but didn't he have a moral or an ethical responsibility to let the landowner know? No, not according to the laws of that day. According to the laws of that day, it was finders keepers. It wasn't, finders keepers wasn't nine-tenths of the law. It was ten-tenths of of the law but beyond that I want you to remember this is a parable a parable is a metaphor it's a figure of speech it's a simile 
It's an illustration. It's an analogy. Jesus told parables to make a point. It is a great mistake to try to make every single little detail in a parable mean something. In the hermeneutics of parables, the interpretation of parables, we've got to get the main point, the point of comparison, and let some of the other details fall by the wayside. The main point in this story is that the plowboy simply had to have this treasure. And so he went home and he gladly gave up everything else that he might have it. And the pearl merchant did the same. Again, an analogy. The kingdom of God is worth you and me giving up everything for. Everything. Do we understand that? You've got to surrender all that you are and all that you have. You've got to change. You've got to repent. You've got to come as a child letting go of pride. Forsaking all others if need be. Embracing Him. You say that's a high price. Yes, maybe it is. But I want you to notice both of these men in these two twin, in these twin parables here. Both of them. The text says out of joy they went back and they sold everything they had so they could obtain the treasure. They didn't consider it too big of a sacrifice. It was joy that moved them. It was joy that motivated them to dispense of everything else they owned so they could own that one thing. What's the lesson to people today? Jesus is more than all that this world has to offer. Do we understand that? He's more than all this world has to offer. If you have to give up everything to follow Him, it's a price well worth it. And Jesus, in turn, will give you life, eternal life and abundant life. I think of when He was walking that day along the seashore of Galilee and He saw James and John with their dad in the boat and He called them to follow Him. And the Bible says immediately they forsook their father in the nets and they followed Jesus. There was Matthew or Levi at his tax collector's booth, probably a very wealthy man. And Jesus passed by and He said, Matthew, follow me. And the Bible says immediately Matthew got up and he left all that behind and he followed Jesus. Are you and I willing to do the same? Give up all to follow Him. Folks, I want you to remember that the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is not always apparent. The things of this world can blind us to what's really important. The busyness in our lives can blind us to what's important. But when we finally see and understand, we've got to do anything and everything to lay hold of Jesus and for Him to lay hold of us. Don't miss the treasure. Don't miss out on knowing God and following Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Some of you this morning, need to forsake all to come and follow Him. Some 
That happened to you long ago that Jesus found you. But since then, there are some barriers that have arisen in your life. And you have redirected too much of your passion and focus to that. And those things are robbing you of the true treasure. You need to let go of some of those barriers that like weeds have grown up in your life. Lay it down. This next year, not just this next year, but for the rest of your life. I want you and I to see that Jesus is the priceless treasure. He's worth more than anything else this world has to offer. Don't let Satan deceive you into thinking otherwise. Would you stand with me, please? Jonathan's going to come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Have you surrendered all? Have you surrendered all? Have you given him everything? Some of you need to come forward this morning. God's drawing you to faith in Christ and you need Christ. Some of you, like I say, who've been Christians for maybe decades... There's some other things that have captured your focus that you need to lay down today. It's not worth it. Follow Christ.